Standing up in McKinney, this is According to Callus, episode 525, and it's Tuesday, so that means it's Texit Tuesday. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, and as a reminder, the Texit Con starts the 9th, that's this Thursday, going through the 12th, which is Sunday, in Waco, Texas. You still have time to come and join us. If you're interested, look up texitconference.com or go to tnm.me and follow the links. And I believe they're still offering a discount code with my last name, Callus. So check it out. Come and join us. And it should be lots of fun and very educational. That being said, before we get into the topic du jour today, let me remind you the biggest way that you can help me continue to grow this program, make a difference. And quite frankly, (laughs) stand in the gap is to like, share, and subscribe this program. You can follow me on your favorite podcatcher. And if you're feeling particularly motivated, feel free to go rate and review this program. Every little bit helps. It seems to me that we gain traction and then we run into these occasional episodes that just get smeared. They don't let it get out. And I mean, we're talking drastic drop-offs for reasons that defy comprehension on my part. But that's okay. We're still here. We're going to keep doing what we're doing to the best of our ability four or five times every week. (laughs) Mostly just because I like bashing my head against the wall, I guess. (laughs) No, seriously, folks, it makes a difference. And you're helping me just by listening and sharing it. And as I want to remind you, I am on the social medias. I have a group and a page over on Facebook, and I visit Gab and MeWe on occasion. So here we go. Yes, it is Texit Tuesday. It is the Tuesday before the Texit Con. Now, I want to preface this by saying there are some folks out here that have no idea what I'm talking about. And honestly, I'm not sure how that's possible, but let's just take a moment. Let's dial it back just a bit and let's talk about what it is to do a Texit. So you might recall the term Brexit, which was Great Britain leaving the EU, i.e. there was a process in place that allowed them to disjoin or separate from the European Union, not unlike a divorce in a marriage. Now, while personally, I don't think divorce is ever a good idea, I don't think, but for a few reasons, is it even permissible under the Christian faith? There are times where it becomes a necessary evil, or it becomes the only thing to preserve your health, safety, and sanity. Right. So in the context of nations or in nations that have been joined together, there is lots of evidence to suggest that there becomes a time where we too shall separate. Now, there is historical precedence for this. You may recall the state of Vermont broke away from both uh, Maine and New York to become an independent republic. You may recall the state of Texas became the Republic of Texas by breaking away from the empire of Mexico. You may recall that 
the Ukraine, or I'm sorry, Ukraine and several other Baltic states, including all the stands, used to be part of the Soviet Union, but they broke away and became independent nations. You may recall there used to be a country referred to as Czechoslovakia. There are now two countries that exist in the same footprint, essentially, the Czech Republic and Slovakia. Interestingly enough, that nation was created out of World War I, which also created Yugoslavia. Now, Yugoslavia, when it separated, that was a nightmare. But it ended up that there was a country, Slovenia, which avoided most of the bloodshed and is quite prosperous in relation to the others. Then there was Bosnia-Herzegovina, which is essentially Catholics and Muslim uh, plurality, I believe, with some Eastern Orthodox. And then there's Serbia, which is almost predominantly Orthodox. Then from there you have what is euphemistically (laughs) referred to as the former Yugoslavian Republic of Macedonia. And then if you want to get creative, you can include Kosovo and uh, Montenegro. Or I should say Montenegro is a separate entity, but it broke away from Serbia, as did Kosovo. And I don't believe I'm missing anything else in there. But again, that was very messy. That was bloody. You had at least four or five separate cultural distinct entities there, as well as three forms of religion, right? The the Catholic or Catholic faith, the Orthodox faith, which both versions of Christianity, if you will, and then the Muslims. And they, they battled within the existing cultures as well as outside of the cultures. And then, of course, you have the Greeks, the Serbs, the Bosnians, the Croats. Oh, yes, I forgot Croatia, ladies and gentlemen. Shame on me. Croatia is predominantly Catholic, and it is actually surrounding Bosnia-Herzegovina in a um, cross between a U and a V shape. Um, And it seems to me that if you look at a map, it's got seashore and mountains. It looks like it's a beautiful country. And it was probably the second least torn up by war of all of them. If you say Slovenia pretty much escaped unscathed. That being said... Uh, None of it's good, none of it's uh, uh, ideal, but it broke up because they were shoved together when they really probably had no business being shoved together. And to go even further than that, you had Germany that was divided and, and then put back together. Then you had Poland that existed, didn't exist, existed, and then didn't exist and existed again. And then you can look at the several divisions, if you will, between Germany and France, the Alsace and Lorraine come to mind off the top of my head. There are many of examples of partitions and divisions and creations of new countries and subdivisions. So there's nothing special or nothing unique. And then drifting back over to our own continent, Quebec's tried to separate from the rest of the Canada at least twice in my lifetime. And they say 
that that the matter was settled essentially by conquest, right? The the North, the Yankees, put down the separation. They prevented the divorce. If you prefer, it was the abusive husband locked up the wife in the basement and didn't let her get away. If you think that sounds harsh, then you don't know about Sherman's march to the sea and the military dictatorship that forced everybody to comply, otherwise known as Reconstruction. But again, there is history of separation. There are there is history of independent nationhood coming up later. I mean, if you want to look at Central America, it used to be a number of states that were combined together. Then they separated, and then Panama was created out of mm, Colombia, I believe. Wow. Ge- geography just fled my mind for a moment there. So it does happen. It it's This is not an anomaly. It's actually an anomaly that the nation stayed together as long as it has thus far. We're at plus 250 years. And it's an uncommon occurrence. If we start the clock at 1776, once we hit 26, that's 250 years. We're closing in on it. Historically, 225 or somewhere around those uh, time frame is where things start to fall apart. And you can look at the various reasons why that may be but the fact of the matter is it doesn't matter (laughs) it doesn't matter why it fails it does what i'm here to suggest to you is rather than continuing to look at it as secession rather than continuing to look at it as you know some kind of brutal separation look at it as a group of people deciding they want their own representation they want their own independence Now, we're willing to play ball. We're willing to stick around and stay on the team. But you got to give a little autonomy there, right? You have have to play ball. If you're not willing to do that, well, then we might just have to go. But But it's an opportunity to declare our independence. It's an opportunity to separate from a traumatic situation, an abusive relationship. Now, you you may say that's not fair. You may you may say that that's wrong. But again, let you let me remind you there is historical precedence for this. Just because we weren't successful one time doesn't mean that we shouldn't try again. If at first you don't succeed, try again. Right. So there are corrective measures that could be done. There are deals that could be cut. There are plenty of opportunities that could make it an unnecessary situation. I will just tell you, I don't believe that's ever going to happen. In fact, I believe that's even less likely to happen than the de jour peaceful independence. So given my choice, I'm going to continue to work for a de jour independence and along the way, hopefully, we'll pick up the de facto independence. Now, for those of you that don't know the difference, de jure is basically recognized by law, whereas de facto means is whether it's law or not, that's the way it is. And that's just the simple, dirty explanation of it. The, the layman's terms, if you prefer. 
And if you doubt me that it's possible, or if you doubt me that those things can be done, I will point you to the behavior of California, Colorado, Washington, and Oregon. They routinely dismiss federal laws and do their own thing. And the feds do nothing. I mean, they stomp their feet. They threaten highway funds or something, but they do nothing. What's interesting to me is that we continue to play along with this charade. Yeah, I know we have Fort Sill here, which uh, apparently they're going to. It's not Fort Sill. I'm sorry. Fort Hood. Fort Sill is in at least two states over. Fort Hood. Apparently they're going to rename it, but as far as I'm concerned, it will always be Fort Hood. And my answer to that is, so what? They can relocate. I mean, we, we'll buy the land if that's what they really want. Or we could have it as a giant embassy. I mean, we want to part on on familiar and friendly terms. We don't want two enemies or three enemies on the border, right? Who wants that? We would like no enemies. We'd like to be at peace with all and trade with all. That's the ideal I don't know that if it's a practicality or not, but I don't see why it's a net negative for the feds to let it go. I mean, if you really want to look at something interesting, look at the greater Oregon movement, right? These are, I'm sorry, (laughs) the greater Idaho movement. These are the folks in Oregon that are actually east of the Cascades. And they're basically saying, look, we have an entirely different culture east of the Cascades. We have far more in common with Idaho than we do with the folks that are in Willamette Valley and on the coast in Oregon. We're we're willing to part ways with them peacefully. They can keep all that stuff, and we're just going to move these lands over and to become part of Idaho. And really, nobody loses out on this, and it is gaining some steam. It, it's an option, right? It's the people wanting to be better represented by their government. What I'm suggesting to you is if we're going to keep having a state government that it's always going to defer its responsibilities, its duties, and the initiative to the federal government, then perhaps we don't need a state government. Perhaps we should just create our own federal government. Replacing or removing the need for a duplicative one over in Washington, D.C. I think we can be far better represented by people that are here locally, people that actually reside in Texas. Let me ask you, how many of you of our congressmen, or if you prefer Congress people, actually live full-time in Texas? How many of the, quote, U.S. senators spend the majority of their time in Texas? Now, Texas might be unique in that our people actually like it here, so they do keep coming back. I know, for instance, my congressman, routinely talks about how happy he is to be back home in Texas. But I'm wondering, is it like that everywhere? Is it like that for every congressman, every senator? I highly doubt it. And if if you break it at the uh, macro level here, right, do you really think we can be adequately, adequately represented by 435 people a couple thousand miles away when we have... 320 million people that we acknowledge are citizens. Do you really think that's a good way to operate? Do you think that's adequate representation? I don't. But I also know that it's be unwieldy to have several thousand people be Congress people. 
right? How, how many congressmen can you fit in a building? I mean, I don't know about you, but I have been to several conventions that have several thousand people. And it is a challenge, to say the least, to get things done. It is a challenge to get a majority of people to agree on things that are divisive, right? I mean, look, if you're going to have a convention with Republicans, most things are going to be agreeable at about an 80 percentile. But then when you add in the other side, when you add in other people, now it gets dicey and you've got several thousand people there, maintaining control and order becomes near impossible. So while I personally find it regrettable that Congress chose to limit their number, to a certain degree, I understand and I'm almost sympathetic to why they would do that, but they're not doing us any favors. It's all about them. It's all about maintaining their control and make sure that they hold all the cards. And again, I understand that I'm not necessarily offended by it, but I also realize that is a limitation when you're representing so many people that you can't properly represent them any longer. That's the problem. This is where Brian McClanahan chimes in with the think locally, act locally, right? You make your government representation small enough to where you can actually have people that theoretically could meet a couple thousand people and properly represent them in some way, shape, or form. I mean, even even my city, which has got, I don't know, 210,000 people, is represented by seven people. So in theory, 30,000 people per person. But then two of them, including, well, then add the mayor, are actually at large. So that really means that you have four districts that are represented So each councilman essentially represents 55,000 people. What's the likelihood that that councilman actually gets to speak with even 10% of that 55,000 people? What's the likelihood that there's any really good representation? Now, magnify that when you go further up the food chain here, right? You have a state rep. We have 1.2 million people in the county. We have four state reps that cover the vast majority of the county. That means maybe 250,000 people in the district. And I don't know what the actual number is. There is an actual formula. It might be 280,000. I don't remember. But still, let's just ballpark it. It's quarter million people. What's the likelihood that your state rep can actually properly represent you at a quarter million people? I'd say not very good. And then when you push that out to, you know, the state senators, you're looking at 30 million people divided by 30. So you got a million people. Is that a realistic number that a state senator can properly represent? Probably not. Now, how do you fix that? I mean, the state of Texas has full authority to reorg at any time how it does its state government. But I don't think they have any interest in doing so. I think, I think it, as a matter of fact, they have every reason to not reorient. But if you get independence and you reset how the government is devised here in the state of Texas, well, then we could change things up a bit. M- maybe we have, I don't know, for every 10,000 people, a state rep. Maybe for every county, you get a state senator. Or maybe you say for... 
Every county that has over a half a million people, they get two state senators. And for every county that has over one million, they would get three state senators. It gets it gets interesting, doesn't it? It kind of bridges the idea between the rural-urban divide. kind of maintains a more equal representation. It doesn't allow for the four population centers to dictate terms over everybody else. It could get even more creative. You could break it up into regions. I mean, you could have... Uh, sub governors, if you will. Look, I'm not suggesting we need more government. As a matter of fact, I'm, I'm the biggest proponent of less government, but I do know that none of that can happen until we get control of our own state government, which might mean including kicking out the federal government. And again, this is kind of a tough thing to talk about, right? People are uncomfortable. We don't want to talk about redefining how Texas operates. We don't talk about what it's like to have our independence. But the real kicker is if you're going to go through all this, and I've taken the time to go back to how we got there, right? What's going on? What's at play? What does this mean? Now, the real question is, well, why does it matter? So let me ask you, how many of you actually believe, well, that one, we had a good, clean election, let's just say in the last 20 years for the federal level. I mean, the Democrats said 2000 was bad. They said 2016 was bad. The Republicans agree 2000 wasn't good, but they will say 2016 was fine and 2020 was not. I mean, I think there are questions about all three at least. That being said, why not just take it away? Why not? Why not even worry about what the state of Florida does or the state of Oregon or the state of California or the state of New York? Why don't we just focus about our own state? Why don't we focus on something a little more closer to home here? I mean, the people in the panhandle probably have zero in common with people, I don't know, let's say downtown Houston. I mean, people are people. I'll give you that. But their needs, their desires, their wants are probably entirely different. I would also speculate that the folks out in El Paso have very little in common with the people in Tyler. That's not necessarily a bad thing. It's not a critique on either side of the equation. It's just we are a huge state geographically. We're a huge state population-wise. And we don't do a very good job of governing ourselves. And then we defer all of that to the federal government, which is even more problematic. That's why it matters. It matters if you want to get control on what's going on. If you if you want to exert authority properly, you have to reconsider how do we do this. It's really easy to say throw the bums out. It's really easy to say, well, we'll just not elect them again. It's well, we'll remove them from office. Okay, maybe. But we've tried that at least with the last two speakers, and essentially it turned out to meet the new boss, same as the old boss, and we did get fooled again. Right. And we we did all this work in the Tea Party movement to elect fresh blood and send new people down to the state to represent us. And within six years, they were co-opted. 
Now, you can say, well, we can put in term limits or we can fix this. But really, no, there's too much money in it. There's there's too much control. There's too much. And it's actually because government has so much authority and because government has so much power that all those people are interested in who's in government. But if you didn't have a government that had so much power and so much authority and so much weight they could bring to different things, nobody would really care. The problem is there's a whole lot of people that would love nothing more than to be left alone. But the problem is the Yankees won't let you. The problem is, is the Yankees feel that they know how to run your life better than yours. And they're the ones that are in government. They're the ones that are coming after you. And they're the ones that are worried about what you're doing in your own backyard. They're never going to leave you alone. And the people like me who would be perfectly content to just be left alone, we're trying to tell you, we're trying to warn you. I agree. Let's, we would love nothing more to be just left alone and just do our own thing, but they're not going to let us. You have to fight back. You can make a difference right here, right now, but you have to wake up. You have to be involved. You have to do something while you still have an opportunity. And I believe fully that Texas has not gone too far. I believe fully that Texas can and stood can and still will be a beacon of liberty, a beacon of freedom for the rest of our own country, much less the rest of the world. But we can only do that if we, the people are activated. If we, the people understand what's at play, if we, the people stay involved, if we, the people stand. And to be clear, I want to be very clear about this. I would not advocate, and I do not advocate violence, breaking the law, taking matters into your own hands. Now, look, I'm a father. There are things that, you know, you think about as a father where maybe you would violate those, but this is not that case. This is nowhere near that. This is really simple. There are still plenty of perfectly legal and peaceful means to deal with this. Don't get caught up. Don't get fooled. Don't get dragged into something. If somebody's encouraging you to break the law, I can almost assure you they're an informant or they're a fed. They just are. I mean, look at every video online. Look at everything that's gone on in D.C. Look at what happened with uh, the governor in Michigan that was allegedly going to be kidnapped. (laughs) 80% of the people involved in that were an informant or a snitch in some way, shape or form. How does that happen? You don't want to make enemies with the feds. You don't want you don't want to make enemies with the three-letter people. But you need to know who they are. You need to know that we don't need to help them. They're not your friends. They don't care about you. They don't care about Texas. And honestly, I don't believe the vast majority of them even care about our country. They care about their power, their control, and their pensions. Maybe not even in that order. But don't be mad. That's the system we set up. That's the way things are. How do you fix it? Well, you have to change them. I have zero problem saying, hey, all you people in those alphabet agencies, we love what you did when you did it. You're going to get a full pension. Nobody's ever going to bother you. We're going to get a free waiver, but you need to retire right now. Just go away, sail off into the sunset. We don't need you any longer. Thank you for your service. And here's a healthy paycheck to go away. Take care of you and your family for the rest of your lives. 
That's not to say that greed wouldn't get the better of some of them, but they're they're not really the enemy. They're just the foot soldiers of our enemies. They're they're the pawns in the scheme. Many of them. But again, if you if you don't understand what's going on, if you don't understand what the plays are, if if you haven't studied the works of your enemies, if you if you don't know enough about yourself and you don't know enough about your enemy, you lose every time. I caution every activist out there, take time, think it out. Don't do rash things. Don't run your mouth if you don't have to. Text it's a real thing. Do we get full independence anytime soon? I don't know. Can we work towards independence every day? Yes, absolutely. Can we get more and more independence every day? Yes, absolutely. That should always be our goal. Everything that we do in the state of Texas should contemplate the idea, how does this benefit Texas? How does this put Texas first? If we focused on the concept the concept of putting Texas first, that independence grows. Everything that we do, everything that we push, everything that we ask for, whether you're pro-Texas or not, if you look at it from the standpoint of, does this put Texas first? Is this what's best for Texas? That puts us all in a better place. If you're thrilled to death and happy to be part of the union, you never, ever want to break up. I get it. You've adopted the... uh, (laughs) I don't know. I'm not going to go down that path. You're just, you're happy to be in that relationship. I get it. But it doesn't mean you can't work for things to make things better. It doesn't mean you can't be Texas first. It doesn't mean that you can't improve the situation. Maybe that's a step too far. Maybe that's a line you can't cross. I get it. I respectfully disagree with you. But you can still come along. You can still help because everything that makes Texas better, everything that puts Texas first benefits all of us. It's not that hard, folks. You just have to decide. Do I want what's best for my family? Do I want what's best for my children? Do I want what's best for my grandchildren? Do I want what's best for Texas? And if I do then I need to reorient my thinking to what puts Texas first. I don't worry about what goes on in Montana. I don't worry about what goes on in West Virginia. I worry about what goes on in Texas. I'm less concerned about what the Yankees want at the federal level to do. I worry about what we're going to do in the state of Texas. I worry about how do we persuade the other states to join us How do I push back on the federal abuses? Those are things I look at. But if I'm building up Texas and I'm making Texas stronger, it becomes less relevant as the years go by, as the weeks go by, as the months go by, as the minutes go by. It doesn't matter how you measure it. It's every time and every step that you move forward, putting Texas first puts us in a stronger position. And with that, this has been According to Callus, and I will see you, if not at Texacon, on the other side. <laughs>